Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Dan is bringing you a teaching, so head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Dan. Today's a great day to be here at Crosswalk because, again, we're restarting the story uh, right in between the Old and New Testament. There, there was about a 400-year period uh, where there were no prophets, where the Lord was silent, where the Lord did not speak. And then the start of the New Testament is, is the birth of Jesus. And what we have today as we get going is a little video to, to summarize uh, the different Bible stories that we will be covering today. It had been 400 years since God had spoken directly to the Israelites. Then, one day, God sent an angel to a girl named Mary, who was engaged to a man named Joseph. The angel told Mary that she would soon become pregnant and give birth to a son named Jesus. God would give him the throne of his ancestor David, and his kingdom would never end. But Mary was a virgin, and this confused her. So the angel told her it would be by God's power that she became pregnant. When Mary's fiancé, Joseph, heard about this, he decided he would quietly end the engagement. But an angel visited Joseph as well, telling him not to be afraid, and that Jesus would save people from their sins. So Joseph and Mary decided to get married. Soon after, they traveled to the town of Bethlehem. Because so many other people were in town, there was no place for them to stay. While they were there, Mary gave birth to her son, wrapped him in cloths, and laid him in the manger. There were shepherds living in the fields nearby. While they were watching their sheep, an angel appeared to them, announcing that a boy had been born in Bethlehem. This boy, said the angel, was the Messiah the king that the Israelites had been waiting for. So the shepherds left their sheep and raced to Bethlehem, finding Mary and Joseph and Jesus. The shepherds praised God for their new king. During this time, the country of Rome controlled all of Israel. After hearing about Jesus' birth, a group of magicians and astrologers came to Herod, a governor working for the Roman Empire. They claimed that they had seen a star in the sky, telling them that the king of the Israelites, now called Jews, had been born. This news really upset Herod. When they arrived in Bethlehem and met Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, they felt great joy. Herod was furious and commanded that all boys in Bethlehem who were two years old and younger be killed. But God had already warned Joseph who by that time had moved his family to Egypt to hide. Later, after King Herod died, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus moved back to Israel, to a small town named Nazareth. They stayed in Nazareth for years, raising Jesus. When he was 12, they traveled to Jerusalem for a festival. When the festival ended, Joseph and Mary left for home with a large group of people. But Jesus stayed behind without them knowing. When they realized he was missing, they went back to Jerusalem and found Jesus sitting in the temple, listening to the teachers and asking them questions. His parents were upset and couldn't understand why he had stayed behind. 
Jesus told them, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Joseph and Mary didn't know what he meant. They did not yet fully understand the importance of who Jesus was and all he would do. If you would like at this time to get out your crosswalk notes, that will help guide you through our message today. And as we begin, I'd like to share a little story with you about the place where I used to live. This was in Wisconsin. They had a, a state building that was divided into two parts. One of them was the Department of Transportation, and the other was the Department of Natural Resources. And at this office, which was near my house, they had a service desk that allowed you to go in and and take care of whatever you needed for either one of them. So uh, you could get a license renewal, license plates, things like that, registration for vehicles. And on the other side, with the Department of Natural Resources, you could get uh, a hunting license or, or if you had any questions about the Department of Natural Resources, you could go to the service desk there. And one of the things, because I I happened to use it, because it was close and and needed it a few times, I remember going in there the first time, and there was a sign that was displayed prominently. And the sign said, a failure to plan on your part does not constitute an emergency for us. And I I remember reading that and going, it's like them saying, you know what? I don't want to hear about it. Uh, Don't make your problem my problem. And as I I thought about that, I thought, I wonder if they would let me take this sign home with me and and put it up in the kitchen so that uh, when the kids tell me, oh, we have this huge assignment tomorrow and and we got to get to Walmart to get all the, the different things we need to get it done, And then you ask them, well, how long have you had this assignment? Well, a couple months, but it's due tomorrow. And so now their failure to plan is an emergency for me. I have to drop everything. Or we got to get over to to so-and-so's house because we have this project. We need to do it together. And I know they live 40 minutes away, but I need you to drive me there, then wait for me, then bring me back home. Not that that's ever happened, but... As you look at that, I think we can relate to that. We, we say, you know what? Just because you don't plan doesn't mean it should be an emergency for me. That was until the time when my brothers gave me a gift. And they gave me the gift of an elk hunting trip to Colorado. I'd never been elk hunting before. And they said, Dan, you're coming with us. And, and we're going to cover everything. Don't worry about it. And so as... The, the time was getting closer. It was going to be uh, late October when we left. That uh, I, I called my brothers just to see exactly what I would need. And, and they said, yeah, we're going to get our license out there. You can just buy them over the counter when we get there. It won't be a problem. And uh, yeah, just have your rifle and a bunch of ammo and you should be good to go. So I was doing a little reading, went online to the, the Colorado uh, State website and What I found is that if you want to go elk hunting in Colorado, if you are born after January 1st, 1960, you need proof of a hunter's safety certificate from the state in which you live. 
And so I thought, oh, you know, that's not a bad thing. Uh, keeps you safe and, you know, safer hunting. And since I had gone through hunter safety when I was 10 years old, um, my dad was a police officer. He was in charge of the shooting range. I've been around uh, guns, weapons all my life and, and taught how to, to take care of them. So it wasn't a big deal. The problem is, is that in Wisconsin, I didn't need a hunter safety certificate. I was grandfathered in, so I didn't have it. I, I hadn't had one in, you know, 20 years or whatever it was that, that I didn't know where mine was. So I went down to the Department of Natural Resources, and I went to the service desk, and I told them I'm going to be hunting out of state, and what I need is my hunter's safety certificate. Could you print me a copy of it? And they said, yeah, that's not a problem at all. And uh, they asked for my name and uh, Daniel Salofra, and they typed in my name, and they said, we don't have any record of a hunter's safety certificate for you. So I said, well, maybe put it, uh, just go Salofra. Uh, look under that, see if you can find any. So they put in Salofra, and they said, well, we have Ray Salofra. I said, yeah, that's my dad. Steve Salofra, yeah, that's my oldest brother. Jeff Salofra, that's my older brother. John Salofra, that's my older brother. And that's all we have. I'm like, are you kidding me? I, I remember taking hunter safety. I, I and so I, I left that day, I called down to, to my dad, and I'm like, what's going on? You know, I, I remember doing this. So he called the guy, still knew the guy who taught us. And the guy told him, well, at that time, you know, you really didn't need it to hunt, so I never recorded it with the state. I was supposed to leave for hunting in 14 days. And if I didn't have the hunter safety, I couldn't get a license. So I went down to the Department of Natural Resources. What can you do to help me? And they told me your failure to plan does not constitute an emergency for us. And that by next year at this time, we're sure you'll be able to, uh, to get your hunter safety certification. And you will have learned a valuable lesson about hunter safety. I couldn't take no for an answer. So what I did do is ask them if there were any classes being taught at the moment. And, and they gave me one class that was starting the next Monday that would be taught every day of the week and would be done on a Friday. And I asked them if there were any openings. And of course, they said, no, these have been filled by people who know how to plan for the last three months. And so as they showed me that, I happened to catch the name of the guy who was teaching it. And I knew someone who knew him, who gave me his phone number. And I called him up and I said, I know your class is full. I, at that time, I, I think I was like 35, 36 years old. I said, I'm 36 years old. I've, I've been around uh, guns my whole life. I've, but I need the certification. Could you please, please, please let me in? Well, the thing about it is I, he, he said, okay, I'll let you in. And so I was able to go Monday through Thursday, but I couldn't make the Friday class because we were leaving. And he trusted me enough to say that he thought I knew what I was doing, gave me my hunter's safety certificate, and I was able to go. There is something about when you are in a problem where you see no resolution and you see your plans and your dreams and something that you are looking forward to fall apart. 
that when someone extends an unexpected grace to you and and lets it happen and, and makes it happen, that that changes you and, and it changes maybe the way you look at helping others and and it just uh, it's hard to explain, but I think we've all been there before where, where someone has made our problem their problem and they've helped us. I want you to think of that as I read from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 49. This is Mary. This is Mary talking, well, actually she's singing to her cousin Elizabeth. And this was after a time when she found out she was pregnant. And she wasn't married. And she didn't know how, how things were going to turn out. And, and not only that, but, but Mary had other issues in her life as well. And she knew it. Her own sin haunted her. It bothered her. And this is what, this is what she sang. And Mary said, Mary sang, My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And this is the part. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And that's the part, the part that's highlighted, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. The fact that God would look into creation, that our eternal God would look into time, and not only care enough to see what was going on, but to care enough to do something about it. And that's, that, that was Mary. That was Mary being honest about, again, being mindful of what I'm going through. And it, and it changed her. It, it changed not her circumstances, but it changed her attitude towards it, that now she was rejoicing. She was so thankful. She was overflowing with praise to God. I have to believe that that is God's plan and hope for you as well. And there was one thing that changed Mary and one thing that brought about that joy, and it was a birth, a birth that hadn't happened yet, but that was going to happen, the birth of the Savior and of the King, Jesus Christ. And so today we are going to go into this message, the birth of a king, and see what meaningful changes it brings in our lives. In the first blank, you can write, God's involvement in our problem is surprising. And so as we go through this message today, first of all, you might be surprised that it's June and we're looking at the birth of Jesus. But even more than that, be surprised that God has been mindful of you and speaks to you today through his word. Maybe one of the reasons why Mary was so surprised, so surprised that that the angel was there was very surprising to her, surprised that she was pregnant, but surprised that God was talking to her. And the reason why, as I said before, that this was during a period of 400 years when God had stopped talking. Isaiah 64, verse 11 and 12 says this, says, this is Isaiah writing, it says, Our holy and glorious temple where our ancestors praised you has been burned with fire, and all that we treasured lies in ruins. After all this, Lord, will you hold yourself back? Will you keep silent and punish us beyond measure? 
It's a brutal time. It, w- it was a difficult time. And, and so in, in the lower story, and you're filling, you can write, the lower story, the Lord was silent. That's the lower story. That's what was going on down in history. The Lord was silent. He wasn't speaking anymore. And the thing about that, that silence about this for the people that would have troubled them so much is the fact that before that time, before that 400 years, God had spoken so much. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Thank you, third grade teacher, for remembering the, the books of the Bible. And so all of these prophets, and those were only the ones that God used as inspired writers, besides your Elijahs and your Elishas and and all of the other prophets, that God kept speaking again and again and again, that the message was clear. You have sinned. You you need to turn from your sin. You need to turn to your God. And finally, as the, the people turned a deaf ear to God, that he removed his presence from them. And one of the first places to fall, not surprisingly, once God had left them, was the temple in which God promised to be with them. The physical place where God had promised that he would be, that he withdrew his presence and said, fine. If you don't want me, if you don't want to listen to me, then I will keep, or I will quit speaking, and you can go about this on your own. I don't know if it was the silent treatment, Or I don't know if it was a dramatic pause. But for 400 years, the Lord did not speak. And in that time period, it was one of the worst times in the history of the people of Israel. The Middle East has always been the Middle East and has always been a powder keg for war. Just always has. And and part of the reason why is because if you're in Egypt and you want to fight Assyria or Babylon, you have to go through Israel one way or the other to, to make that war happen. During this time period, also, Alexander the Great, when he came and would conquer the world, you got to go through Israel if you're going to do it. And so it was the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Greeks, the Egyptians, and, and at this time the Seleucids, and finally the Roman government. That these people were beaten up. And, and the one word that I would use to describe their situation was hopeless. That they had finally gotten to a point where, where after 400 years you might start to think whether God cares or not. That that's where they had fallen. Was to say he has forgotten us. And that's why Mary was so surprised. Not only that God would speak, but that God would speak to me. But the lower story isn't the entire story. Galatians 4 verses 4 and 5 says, But when the time, when the set time had fully come, again, I'm going to get back to this. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. And that's the other part of the story. That's the upper story. Perfect timing for a birth. And as the people are wondering, what's going on? Where is God? God is saying things are going perfectly right according to plan. Because you remember, God is a planner. And, and God does not 
fail to plan, which means he does not run into emergencies. And so he knew his prophecies, his hundreds of prophecies about the Savior, about where the Savior would be born, the circumstances, what the Savior would need to be. And for that reason, he got Israel right where he needed them. He used the Roman government. Because after all, the baby was going to be born in Bethlehem. He had said that 700 years earlier. And so God used the Roman government to get Mary and Joseph where they needed to be. It was during this time period that the Roman government, because it covered the whole world, would, would offer a, a way that the gospel could be spread throughout the world. It was the Roman government that came, came up with crucifixion. The way that God had chosen that his son would die to pay for sin. When the time had fully come. Perfect time for a birth. And who would be born? In Matthew 1 verse 21. These are the words spoken to Joseph in a vision. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. And so we see that our king is also the promised savior. Our king is also the promised savior. And at this point, I just want to take a moment to pause. And we're, and we're just going to take a second here and, and understand to reintroduce you to this concept of there being an upper story and a lower story. The upper story of God doing what he is doing uh, so that all men might be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth that Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, ruling the world on the, in the best interests of the church. And then my reality. And, and my reality is the lower story. It's what I see every day. It's the problems. It's the hurts. It's the heartaches. It, it's the things that I don't understand, that I ask myself the question, if I were God, what would I do in this situation and it's not what God is doing. And what we need to do, and, and, and I'm going to ask you to do this, this is important, is to see how the upper story gives us a perspective. That it allows us to step back from our lives and the things that are in so important to us and look at an eternal perspective from which our God works. And to never forget the purpose, God's purpose of working in your life. I've had it uh, said a number of different ways, but one of my favorites is this, is that God does not want to make you happy in your life. God wants to make you holy in your life. And, and as you consider that and, and understand that's the bigger picture, God wants you to be with him for eternity in heaven. And whatever needs to happen in this world in order to make that happen, he will do. Difficult circumstances, tough love, Understand that, that as we go through this and as you consider this message, that is what our Savior came to do, came to bring us to be with our God. And so as we look at the upper story version of the birth of Jesus, see, we're used to Luke chapter 2 describing Jesus and Mary and Joseph and uh, the baby lying in a manger. But John 1 gives us the upper story perspective, and this is what it says. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God 
I'm just going to stop there for a moment and understand that the word that's being talked about is the second person of the Trinity, the the Son, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Once he came in and, and took on human flesh, we call him Jesus. But this is the second person of the Trinity, and he's called the Word because he is, first of all, the power of God. When God created the world, he did it by speaking. He showed his power by calling things that were not as though they were. And God said, let there be light. And through the power of his word, through the power of that second person of the Trinity, creation took place. He's the power of God, but he's also called the word because he's the promise of God. The promises, the Old Testament prophecies, the promises of a Savior given to all of God's people to point them ahead to the coming Christ. And what did they have? They had the words. They had the promises. And that is what was coming into the world. And and again, this is a plan from the beginning. So again, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And here's Christmas, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And do you see what happened do you see what happened and it changed history? We, we use the term Emmanuel, God with us. But what had happened in the, old, the upper story and the lower story were being married together as God took on human flesh and came into the lower story. And as Jesus did that, as the Son of God came and became man, 100% God, 100% man, he became the Savior that we needed. He needed to be true man in order to live under the law for us, in order to die in our place. And he also needed to be true God in order for his payment to count for all people so that all would be saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so in the blank, you can write, our king is both true God and true man. The perfect Savior, Jesus Christ, true God and true man. And so that's the upper story. The lower story then is Luke chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Again, Mary and Joseph going to Bethlehem. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in claws and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. There he is. There's the Son of God lying in a manger. And one thing we don't want to miss is the point, and that is our king is hidden in humility. Our king is hidden in humility. And as we look at this this idea of being hidden, what I mean by that is God doesn't do things the way that I would have done them. You see, when the time had fully come, when the set time had come, 2,000 years ago, it was God's timing. If I was God, I think I would have waited 2,000 years. And then we could have live-streamed the birth. Coming to you from Bethlehem is the birth of the king. And everyone could have watched. 
And, and now we're going out in the field uh, to the shepherds. And, and uh, let's, let's be ready here. We think there's going to be an angel appearance. And there it is. But when you look at it, the birth, and it, it, it's both physically and at the same time spiritually hidden. Who is there for the birth of Jesus? Some donkeys? A lamb? Who witnessed it besides Mary and Joseph? We're not told. The shepherds came later, but that was even after Jesus had been born. Where did the wise men go when they wanted to see the birth? How did their minds think? They went right to the, the palace. That is where the king should be born. And yet he was hidden. He was hidden in a manger. And at that time, hidden in a house underneath the star. But I'm going to warn you, because Jesus stays hidden in humility his entire ministry. We call it the humiliation, and, and it's in the Apostles' Creed that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried as a loser. If you want a hidden God, not only hidden in his humanity, but hidden in his humiliation and hidden in his suffering, that when we see Jesus on the cross, we say, where is God? Because we don't see it. Because what a perfect platform it would have been to say, no, Sanhedrin, you are going to listen to me, you, you priest. Now you're going to understand the wrath of God. Pontius Pilate and the Roman government, you are going to see who the true power of the world is. But that's not what Jesus did. He went to the cross instead. Because he was coming as your savior to take away your sin. And so he came in humility. And my encouragement is don't miss Jesus in that humiliation, in that humility. Don't miss him in his humility and in his suffering. But don't miss him in yours either. I know you're going through a lower story. And I know there's hurt and I know there's heartache and I know there's pain. And immediately it's amazing how fast people go to where is God? I'm telling you, that's exactly where he's hidden. It's in that pain and in that hurt, which drives us back to his word and drives us back to the upper story and reminds us for the purpose of this world, which is not to bring us happiness, to bring us holiness and to bring us closer to him. And one of the ways the human nature works and the sinful nature works is that there's something about suffering as bad as it is that takes us back to him every time. And so he's not afraid to use it, not because he doesn't love us, but because he does. Don't miss Jesus hidden in humility. The good news is he does show himself. And one of the, the greatest ways that he shows himself is in his children. Matthew 1 verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. When Mary came to Joseph and said she was pregnant, this is one of the hidden verses of the Bible where Joseph said, Mary, your failure to plan does not constitute an emergency for me. And so I'm not going to tell anyone, but we're not getting married because I don't need this, okay? 
I don't need this, this whole, the start of our relationship, not trusting you, not having, having this child that's not mine and everyone else that was talking about it. It's just, it's just easier if we don't do this. And then the Lord appears to him and says, you know what, Joseph? I made Mary's problem. I made her problem. And I'm making it your problem too. Because it's also your solution. It's the Savior. Don't be afraid to take her home as your wife, Joseph. And, and so what is the change brought about by, by, by God coming to, to Joseph? It's obedience. That he learned to obey, to do what God told him because he was going to need it. He was going to need it not only to marry her, not only to go to Bethlehem, but also later to go to Egypt and then later to go to Nazareth. He needed to learn to trust and follow the Lord. And he did. Luke 2, another change in God's people where God is seen. When they had seen him, the shepherds, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And so what we see is this change from the shepherds who were out in the fields who were worried about the price of wool and making sure no lambs were lost, that there was a joy, that they returned to their fields, but with a different attitude. Is that possible for us, that as we hear God's word here today, that we go back to our fields, whatever field it might be, but to do it with joy? And then finally, Matthew 2, the wise men, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Moved by the generosity God had shown in giving his son, the wise men were moved to generosity to give gifts back to God as well. That's how we change. That's how God is seen also in our generosity, in our hearts that have been changed, that become giving just like he is. So in the blank, you can write, our king is seen in those who follow him. As we take on those, those traits that our God has shown to us. As we reflect his glory and give him praise in everything that we do. And in those gifts, the, the beauty of these gifts as well is that, that we see also something about our God. First of all, the gift of gold, an expensive gift for a king. Just to remind you not to miss it. This is a baby, but this is your king. The frankincense, a gift for a priest to be used in worship. To remind you that this child is going to be the high priest who's going to offer himself as the sacrifice for sin on the cross. And finally, myrrh, a perfume used for a burial. To remind them that this child will die. This child will die, but live again. Die to pay for sin and and live as proof that you are forgiven and your relationship with God is restored. It's the upper story and the lower story coming together and it's it's changing the hearts of people. And and one of the things I want to leave you with today is just a little story. Uh, I don't know if it's true, but I heard this story. It's kind of of humor. I thought it was funny. And it it was uh, a pageant. Uh, they were going to have a pageant for Christmas, and, and the Sunday school was going to have it. And so they were going to have the Christmas story. And so the teacher did what most teachers do, and that is you, you put your most important roles. So you've got to have your Mary, 
You know, so you got to have, make sure you got someone really good for that Mary and Joseph role. So you get the, the two, mo- two smartest kids in the class who aren't going to let you down too much to do those roles. Then you go to um, maybe the wise men. You need to pick them, make sure they don't screw it up. And, and, then, and then you kind of work your way down. And that's what the teacher did. And, and finally got one of the kids in, in the class who, uh, you know, maybe not the, the most acting ability and maybe not one of the smartest kids in the class and he was going to be the innkeeper and and so uh they told him yeah this you're going to be the innkeeper and your line is when they knock on the door is we have no room for you you can use the stable in back that that was his line and so what happened is as they were going through this rehearsal, it, it, it kept bothering this, this little boy that, you know, he's the one who's got to tell Jesus there's no room, there's no room for him, and he's, he's all conflicted about it. And so it kind of finally came time for the, the Christmas pageant, and they were putting it on in front of church. Mary and Joseph, you know, the angel appeared to them. They made their way to Bethlehem. They knocked on the door of the inn. And the, the innkeeper came to the door and said, we've been expecting you. Come on in. <laughs> and everyone in the crowd started clapping, gave him a standing ovation. And it's my prayer that today, as we celebrate Christmas in June, that maybe that would reflect what we do. That, that we look at Christ who comes hidden in humility and we open the door. We open the door of the heart and say, welcome, Jesus. We have been waiting for you. We need you so desperately. We thank you that you have been mindful of our situation and you have come to help. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now some closing thoughts from Pastor Dan. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, the hopelessness of the people at the time of Jesus was very real. Uh, When you don't speak, we have no hope. And for that reason, Lord, we thank you that you sent a baby into a manger, uh, the Son of God, hidden in humility to be our Savior. Help us always to see that Jesus is true God and true man. He is the perfect Savior and, again, has the perfect name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, Lord, we ask you to to live our lives in the lower story, always with an eye and a perspective of the upper story, knowing that we are loved by you, that you care for us, and that you will bring us on our path to be with you in heaven. Please be with us, Lord. Send your Holy Spirit because we do need you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.